going to ask my brother in the back to put up the picture of Israel in comparison. You can come on up, sir. In the, yes, we have our one Jew here. Let's give it up for Israel. Come on. Our Jewish sister. Come on up here. Ariane, love you so much. Give us a quick, you guys can be seated. Give us a quick testimony, then we'll pray for Israel. And if there's other Jewish people here, we say shalom aleichem to you as well. Give us a quick testimony since you're here. Hi, everyone. Good morning or good afternoon. Uh, my name is Ariana, and if you guys don't know me, um, I am a Jewish believer in my Messiah, Yeshua. And um, yeah, so as sure as you guys know, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening in Israel, but. I am on the expectancy, and I believe that you all should be as well, that revival is about to hit the Holy Land. So, yeah, so um, just briefly, um, I am a Jewish believer, and it was really through um, just how you, your the mission here is to love God and love people that, um, praise the Lord, that there was a believer at my college campus that um, through our interfaith Bible studies that we were able to, um, he led me to the truth that um, the same Jesus that was in the New Testament was concealed in the Old Testament and through the Holy Spirit that my eyes were open. And so, yeah, so, um, continue. Yeah, so please continue to keep Israel in your prayers. Um, just the other day, there were over 300 rockets that were um, hit um, in the Holy Land. So, but like I said, the enemy knows that revival is happening. So that's why we're seeing what we're seeing. So um, very exciting times. So. And stay up here for me, please. I'm going to have you pray. We'll agree with you. So even if you go to the New York Times article, this is something that they're not going to tell you. I read it today. You know, if you want to know what's going on, the liberal media is never going to tell you the truth. So basically, this is how the New York Times article started off. Before the rockets came from Gaza to Israel, uh, to Jerusalem, this is what happened. And then they try to tell this story where you're like, oh, well, maybe Hamas should be firing rockets at innocent people. And it's, it's full of propaganda. And the story is very simple. It's very simple. The Israelis were celebrating their Memorial Day, and they were by the mosque that wanted to have their prayers at the same time. The Israelis asked them not to do it loud so it wouldn't disturb their Memorial Day where they celebrate the Israeli soldiers who have died for their freedom. The mosque didn't want to do that, so they cut off the speakers. Now, you may say maybe freedom of speech problems or issues, and we may go back and forth on that. And that could be something settled in the courts. Did the police have the right to go to a religious place and cut off the speakers? But then the protests came, and the protests turned into rockets being shot at the innocent people in Jerusalem. So this is the same thing I was talking about in our uh, situation. Okay, George Floyd, totally injustice. That's a no-brainer. That's not even like a discussion. We know that. But it needs to go through court. You want to protest, that's fine. But the moment you start rioting, burning down things, taking over people's properties, that's not protest anymore. That's rioting. Don't start no stuff, won't be no stuff. And that's what I said to some of my friends who were, you know, protesting. They said, well, protesting didn't work, so now we're doing this. And I go, well, hold on. If you're telling me what you're doing now is not protesting, you're no longer protected. You are a violent combatant of our country. And so you can't get upset if you get shot now. Hello, somebody. You can't have your cake and eat it too. So fine. In Israel, you want to protest, you can protest. But the moment they started firing rockets, now you're on a whole nother uh, level that you're basically in, you know, doing domestic terrorism. But this is the thing they'll never tell you. Can you even see Israel there? <laughs> Look at the little yellow sliver of blessed Israel. 
surrounded by Muslim nations. And so this is what I say to my Muslim friends. You know this is not a secular issue. It's not an issue over whether or not you had the right according to the Israeli constitution. Here's the thing. The Islamic nations, according to their book, believe that land belongs to them. And what even makes them more upset is through their jihads, they actually had that land at one time. And when we as the United Nations, or we should say the Allied Forces rather, after World War II gave it back to Israel, they're upset about that. And so they want that land back in the name of Islam. Well, hold on. My Bible says that book, but that land belongs to Israel. So if you want to have a, a discussion about which book is right, this book is right, Jack. But hold on. If you're upset you got your butt whooped and now you want your land back, we as Christians uh, uh, want Egypt back, Libya back, Algeria, Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. We want our Christian lands back. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. If you want to make it about just straight up war, we won, we gave it to Israel, it belongs to them. And no matter what you thought about Trump, Trump was one of the most pro-Israeli presidents we've ever had. And he made Jerusalem the capital of our embassy. Well, right now, who even knows what Biden's going to do except make it worse, right? So we got to pray for our president because we want him to make it better. But the situation is they'll never tell you that this is a religious battle. It is. It's over religion. And instead of them saying to the Palestinian people, the Muslim states around there, instead of saying, hey, if you don't like it there in Israel, come live with us. We'll give you citizenship. They actually close their borders to them and make the intensity even worse. And they pump them up with these agendas and military and all of this and, and trained fighters and weapons to continue to be an affliction there. Why? Because the Muslim nations want us, the West, who protects them to turn our back on them because the moment we turn our back on them, what do you think is going to happen there? And that's where you're going to go to the Antichrist today into the battle of Armageddon. He has always had his eyes on Israel. The Satan, Satan has. But God keeps them as his chosen people, the apple of his eye. Psalm 122.6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. And so this is what we say. We know that's not the kingdom of God yet. It's going to come there, and it's important to God. So I don't necessarily always agree with everything the military does there, just like what we do here. You know, they can make mistakes. We understand that. But once war breaks out, once violence breaks out, we want Israel to be protected. And the bottom line is the Muslim nations continually afflict the people where you could just see that's the only bit of land they want. But if you left it to them, if you talk to the Iranians, if you talk to Saudi Arabia, if you talk to the people, they want them out of that land. Well, where else are they to go? Well, then that's where you get the heart of Satan, that they want them extinct. And they've said that over and over again. Hamas, who's firing those rockets, they want Israel extinct. It's not that they want them to have their land somewhere else. They want them off the planet. And so that's why we know it's satanic at its core. So I'm going to ask our Jewish sister here to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And for, yes, for any injustice, maybe the government might have did, for it to be settled through protest at the courts, not firing rockets at innocent people. And then just one more time, because I know that a lot of you see this on media, they'll always show you the innocent is... Uh, people of Hamas or the Gaza Strip that get killed, but they never show where those rockets go. Do you think those rockets are just being shot at, our, at the military bases? No, they're targeting civilian places, and you can then see where are they shooting the rockets from. They're shooting in Gaza. The Hamas leaders are shooting them from elementary schools. They're shooting them from residential areas because it's all a ploy. 
If I shoot off that rocket, you know, this is what they think. If we shoot it off from the elementary school, we win twice. Wherever that rocket goes, sets off an explosion, we win. And then if they bomb us here, we get to win in front of the media and say, look, they're killing our children. Look right here. But Israeli has the most technological weapons just like we do. They're targeting where it's coming from. And they're the ones choosing where it's coming from. So if you don't want an elementary school blown up, stop shooting your rockets from elementary schools. Stop doing that. Are you guys listening to me? So we want to be fair. We want to be honest. But we also want the peace of Israel and Jerusalem. Would you pray, please? Amen. And just um, a really quick side. Um, uh, like Pastor Joe said, that there is a lot of misinformation out there. So um, if you guys are more interested and have a heart for Israel and understanding the complexity of the geopolitics over there, um, I'm also a Middle Eastern studies major, so you're more than welcome to uh, come up to me. I, I um, went live on Facebook a few nights ago just kind of explaining the historical context because there is a lot, like, why we're seeing on a... Um, a, a natural level of what um, specifically during this time that the we're having almost a fifth round of elections in Israel that Benjamin Netanyahu has been consistently trying to be overthrown by the Israeli parliament, the Knesset. So um, there's just so many layers at the end of Ramadan. There's always something crazy going on. And then tonight is actually the Pentecost in the Jewish holiday Shavuot. So that is the 50 weeks between um, the Passover, Pesach, and counting of the Omer, the, the harvest. So Yes, so we do celebrate um, the Pentecost, so very exciting. I really believe that the Lord um, is using the Jewish holidays to remove that unveiling. So I'm very excited. I'm very unexpected. So that was just a quick aside. If you guys have any questions um, related to that, any curiosity, um, yeah, feel free to come up to me, and I can send you guys some resources along the way. Yes, so um, with that being said, I'm going to lead us in the prayer for the Holy Land. Lord Jesus, I just thank you um, for the people of Israel, Lord God, that you are just using this time to draw people nearer to you, Lord God. So, Lord, I just pray for my people, Lord God, that this time during Shavuot, the Pentecost, Lord God, that you will just use mightily the revelation of the word, the Torah, Lord God, to just awaken their eyes, Lord God, to know that, that the Moshiach, the Messiah has come, Lord God, that you, Yeshua, are the Messiah that my people have been waiting for, Lord God. So, Lord, I just pray that they will just fall to their knees from a radical encounter from you, Lord God, that the revival is hitting the Holy Land, Lord God, that you are awakening hearts, Lord God. And, Lord, I pray for the Hamas terrorists, Lord God, that you just break their hearts, Lord God, that they would just fall on their knees for repentance, Lord God, that you would forgive them, Lord God, for they know not what they do, Lord God, before they are deceived, Lord God. They have been horribly deceived, Lord Lord. So I pray that you would just continue to stir boldly, Lord God, the brothers and sisters in Israel, Lord God, to boldly proclaim the gospel, Lord God, in every tongue and to every nation, Lord God, to the Gaza Strip, to the West Bank, to Petatikva, Lord God, through all of Israel, Lord God, that they would just be able to have the encounter of the Moshiach, Lord God, the intimacy that they have longed for their whole lives, Lord God. Lord God, I pray for the religious community, the Hasidic, Lord God, that you would also hit revival there, Lord God, through encounter, Lord God, that they will just um, see that you are not just a God of performance, but a God of person, 
personal relationship, Lord God, that Yeshua came to fulfill the law so we could walk, have the law written on our hearts, Lord God, and not through the flesh, Lord God. For we know, you know, Lord God, that when we try to perform for you, Lord God, that our hearts get hardened, Lord God. So, Lord, I just speak right now that their hearts of stone would become a heart of flesh, Lord God. That they would just have such a burning for you, Lord God. Just as um, the disciples, when they were walking and you re you revealed themselves to to you, Lord God, of they said, did not our hearts burn within us as they were, you were discussing the scriptures with them, Lord God? So I speak that over my people, Lord, as they open the Torah tonight, they stand up all night, they stay up all night reading the Torah, Lord God, that tonight will be the day of salvation, Lord God, that they will just see you so clearly, so audibly, Lord God, that they just can't help but believe in Yeshua, Lord God. They will give their lives to you, Lord God, and they will proclaim the gospel in, in Hebrew and Ivrit, in Arabic, in every tongue and every tribe, that they will open their eyes, Lord God, and that no weapon formed against them shall prosper, Lord God, that we, we bind any plans and attacks from the enemy in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that the waves of revival cannot be stopped. Lord God, for you cannot be stopped. You are unshaken, Lord God. You are a rock. You are a redeemer, Lord God. So I speak that over in the name of Jesus, Lord God, to, over the city of Israel, Lord God, every city, every town, Lord God. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's amazing. Love here in your heart. If you could leave that up, because I just want you to hear this in closing. Even during this time, you can see how much the liberal media wins the, the worldview war. You'll have people that have nothing to do with the conflict saying that they support, support the Palestinians. They support them. And yet Jewish people by descent, like Jerry Seinfeld and so many Jews in Hollywood, so many Jews who are actors, won't even say a peep for their own homeland. you know why? Because they're intimidated that the battle has already been won in the multimedia world, that if you stand for Israel, you're a bigot, you're a racist. You see how that same trick is played on them, that even the famous Jewish people, you hardly ever even see them say, hey, pray for my homeland, pray for my people, because what are they afraid of? They're afraid of everybody backlashing Israel and then calling Israel racist and all of that. And this is another known fact that most people don't know. Uh, oftentimes when they think of the Jews, they think of the ones who came from the Holocaust, the European Jews, so they think of white, etc. But that's not what Israel is made up of only. Israel also has the Sephardic, the Middle Eastern Jews, has the Ethiopian Jews. It is probably one of the most integrated cultures in the entire Middle East because it's not based on discrimination. And as a matter of fact, Palestinian people can have rules, uh, can have a place in their government and all of that. But you know what? You know, going back to that speaker being cut off, do you know that Christians and Jews can't preach their religion vice speakers in Saudi Arabia. See the hypocrisy? Christians and Jews can't preach their religion in Iraq or in Syria or in Afghanistan. And so even though, yes, it's a dispute over freedom of speech, where's our freedom of speech in all of those red countries? So don't fall for it. Don't think that Israel's being bigots. If they do something wrong, we stand against it. But for the most part, the media, just like they do during the Black Lives Matter stuff, they don't tell you the whole truth. So be a Christian, be in a Christian worldview, and pray for them. Amen?
Amen. Let's go now to uh, the book of Revelation, starting in chapter 8, verse 6. We're going to go to part 2, the seven trumpets. Today was a unique day because in the first service, I actually disagreed with myself twice and had to correct myself in front of the congregation, which was a little bit embarrassing, to tell you the truth. So I went back, I restudied, and I'm good right now. And I was talking to Jared. You know, Jared is our pastor over uh, Dallas, and we were discussing this, and he said, you know, you're going through some tough times, pastors. Imagine me. This is the first time I've ever passed their church, and my first series is on the book of Revelation. He said, I'm studying more than I ever have. I'm trying to figure out the timeline. So I'm praying for him as well. And then, you know, I've talked to you guys here about people having different opinions, even in the pre-tribulation camp, which Jared is. And I found out that Jared and I had differences. So not only are there differences among, you know, just different churches, there's differences in our own church, even among the pastors. Because when you're trying to figure it out, put the timelines together, there are so many different options. So once again, I ask for this congregation to give us a level of grace as we focus on the majors and minor on the minors, okay? We do not want to get distracted into some of the things that I got lost in today in first service. I'll tell you where I got lost, and I'll straighten it out for you, and I'll give you the options. But let's focus on the big picture. Somebody say, Jesus is coming back. Amen. Okay, so we're in a two-part on the seven trumpets. We stopped last week at the, uh, the fifth trumpet, or excuse me, the sixth trumpet, and then there's an interlude. So I'm going to go over the six trumpets for you right now, and the charts just keep getting added on. So here's some more today that I'm going to show that you haven't seen yet. And if you remember, I tried Daniel's 70 week last week, and the 70 weeks I got a little bit, uh, compl- it got complicated, so I got the chart here to help us just on that. So charts within charts. In the seven uh, trumpets, we've already gone through the six. The first one, Uh, After the trumpet was sounded, there was blood, and it was, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, hail came mixed with blood, and it was hurled down to earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. Then we see the second angel sounded his trumpet, and a huge mountain came down and turned a third of the sea to blood. Everybody say a third. That's important during the trumpet. So you see a third of the earth burned up, a third of the the sea. Then the third trumpet blows, uh, the third angel blows its trumpet, and a third of the fresh water is ruined by a star falling uh, named Wormwood. And if you remember, I explained that to you guys, how I think stars can fall and those different things. I even have it linked here for you to go back and look at because when the fourth trumpet was sounded, a third of the stars, a third of them uh, were turned black, a third of the moon, and uh, went black and a third of the sun. Now, after the fourth trumpet starts the three woes. There are three woes for the final three trumpets. So the fifth trumpet is a part of the woes. The first woe is the fifth trumpet. Then another star falls, and then when it falls, it hits the ground, breaks open the abyss, and out of the abyss comes a locust army that then has all of these really crazy features, the face like a person, a a tail like a scorpion. And I gave you what I thought the two options would be. This is either a man-made army or a demonic army, okay? So you have to decide on what you think it is. But then we go to the second woe, which is the sixth trumpet, and we see an actual army that numbers 200 million, and from that 200 million man army, we see a third of mankind killed. So remember this, a third of the earth is destroyed, a third of the sea, a third of the, uh, the fresh water, then a third of the stars, right? And then we see coming down here, after the locusts, we see that a third of the earth is killed 
by the army. Now, let's go back up here and give you the different options that you have when you look at the seals, trumpets, and bowls. We've already gone through the seals. We're going through the trumpets now. Then we go to the bowls. There are some, like me, who believe that when you get to the end of the seals, the seventh seal, you open up the first trumpet. Then when you get to the seventh trumpet, you open up the first bowl, and so they're moving linear. There are others that believe whenever you're learning about the seals, there's also a period of time that overlaps where there's also the trumpets coming and the bowls. Does everybody see that? Everybody go, ah. But once again, I don't see it that way. And the reason is when we get to the end of the trumpets, six and seven, we're supposed to be at the end of the bowls. What's a major issue here for me, and I have the comparative chart right here, is that when you get to the last trumpets of six and seven, particularly six, it's a 200 million man army killing a third of the earth. So an army is killing a third of the earth, but when you get to the bowl of wrath, you see here that Armageddon, the army is now fighting God. How can that be at the same time, folks? How can a million, a 200 million man army be killing a third of the earth and then fighting God at the same time? That's why I don't think either one of these can work. Now, some they say, well, Joe, you might be right. So, it, you know, the sixth and seventh only corresponds with the third and fourth bowl, but then the fifth and sixth and seventh bowl, that comes afterwards. But I don't think there's enough time, and we'll get into that today where we get our first indication of Daniel 70 weeks. Everybody go, ooh, here we go. This is what we've been building to because unless you have the understanding of Daniel 70, weeks, you can't make the timeline like we've been using here. And if you notice here in the timeline, it's already broken up to seven years. Why is it a seven-year period that we've been discussing? Why is it I started with seven years? You know, other Bible teachers say seven years. And why is it we uh, think that there's a split between the seven years? Three and a half is one part of it, and another three and a half years is another part. You're now going to learn today why that is, why we believe this is a seven-year period and why it's divided in half. But it doesn't come in the way you think it's going to come. And that's where I, I have to prepare you for what I'm getting into, and I didn't really do that good of a job in first service, so thank you uh, for coming to second today where you can get a little bit extra preparation, because now we have an interlude, and you have to be ready for what you're going to learn now in this interlude. We just stopped at the sixth trumpet, 200 million man army kills a third of the people, so you've got to pause that in your mind to hear the next two chapters. Now, this is where you have to be prepared. When we get to the next chapter, chapter 11, and we are given the dates, everybody here has to be willing to put these dates somewhere, or the time period, rather, the 42 months, the 1260 days. Now, this is what we all admit, no matter what view you take over the rapture, what is being discussed here in this time frame has in some way already been done during trumpets and seals. So in other words, by the time we hear mention of 42 months, everybody, doesn't matter if you're pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip, it doesn't matter where you're at, the moment you hear about 42 months, as we are in Revelation chapter 11, you have to admit wherever we're learning, whatever we're learning about, 
has had to have started before. It doesn't change your view on when the rapture happens because we believe that a rapture, a calling away of the church, happens before the seals, four horsemen of the apocalypse, happens before the trumpets and the bowls of wrath. We don't believe the church is here for this, but it doesn't matter what position you take on the rapture. The moment we get here to chapter 11 and start learning about two witnesses and then we learn about the things that are taking place there, you have to go back into this time period. The reason why I think that got confusing for the first service is because it doesn't go in order. You're thinking if we're going to be talking about things at the beginning, why are we already in chapter 8? Why don't we talk about the 42 months in chapter 1? I think the book of Revelation did that on purpose because the book of Revelation is about Jesus and not about the Antichrist. It's about Jesus. It's not about the bowls of wrath. It's about Jesus. It's not about the two witnesses. So at any time, if Jesus wants you to focus on something, he'll want you to focus on it. But the first focus is always him. So this is now why when we start to hear 10 and 11, we have to now go back in time. Everybody has to do it, and you'll hopefully see that I give you a good way to do it. Because like I said, everybody's going to do it, and I'll give you a way that I think should be done. Chapter 10, verse 1. If you're there, somebody say, I'm there. Okay, I'm ready for this. You guys ready? Okay, second part of the seven trumpets. Six trumpets have passed. We're in an interlude now. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Not an angel with a trumpet, but another mighty angel. He was robed in a cloud and with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke, and when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard the voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders had have to say and do not write it down. Ooh. So this is what I got a question. To, this is my question right here. If we're given the revelation of the locust demonic army, if we're given the revelation of a statue that talks in the resurrection of an antichrist beast, if we're given the revelation of stars falling from heaven, what did John hear that he couldn't tell me? It reminds me of Paul saying he went up into the heavenly realms and he was told stuff he couldn't say. I'm like, Paul, the stuff I already know is pretty crazy. What are you getting, man? I'm thankful now that God said seal it up. What in the world did those seven thunders say? Now, you might be surprised that I have a book coming out called What the Seven Thunders Said. It's going to be released next month. I'm just kidding, by the way. It's okay to, to smile in church. Uh, so I'm going to tell you what the seven thunders said. It's been revealed in this generation. Do you see how cults start? Do you see how silly that is? So what John didn't know, I know, and I'm going to tell you. No, just uh, kidding there. But I'm, I'm thankful God doesn't tell us everything. Just imagine some of the things that if God were to tell you before they happen, how much that would mess up your life. Let's be serious for a minute. My sister died drinking and driving. Imagine if the Lord told my mom that before she died, like while she was a little baby. This little baby is going to die drinking and driving. Wouldn't that make those 30-plus years that she lived with her very horrible? Like, when is she going to die? When is she going to die? And so I do think that God tells us only so much as what is for our good, and whatever we're not supposed to know, he'll reveal to us in those times. And it looks like this, they won't know until it happens. But uh, John was told something and not to write it down. Verse 5, Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it. And he said, there will be no more delay. 
But the days, but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Somebody say, the mystery will be accomplished. Thank you. What do I think that mystery is that's being accomplished? Salvation for Jew and Gentile. Praise God. Remember, this was the big misunderstanding in Jesus' first coming. They thought that Jesus was going to restore the kingdom of Israel, uh, the kingdom to Israel at that time, defeat the Romans, set up the throne of David, and make everybody come to Jerusalem and worship at the feet of the Jews who had been serving the true God. There's one problem with that. What about all the rest of the nations? What are they going to do in that kingdom? That's what they thought the kingdom was going to look like. All of us Gentiles serving the Jews and just being a blessing to them. Well, hold on. Didn't God make a promise to the first Jew, the one that he called? called out? Didn't he make a promise to Abraham and say, through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed? Not just blessed to be your servants, the servants, you know, to, to Israel, but they'll be blessed alongside of you. And didn't Paul in Galatians chapter 3, that through Christ, didn't he say that we now share in the blessing of Abraham? Some prosperity preachers take that only for the physical. Well, I want what Abraham has. Abraham had land, and he had cattle, and he had finances. Well, well, that's part of the blessing. I believe God will take care of us. But the most important blessing is to have union with Christ and be a part of his kingdom. That's why Jesus said to the Jews, there are sheep that you know not of, and that's what I'm going to send you out to go get. And at the end of Matthew chapter 28, he said, go and make disciples of all the nations. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit coming, that's why Jesus left so he could send the Holy Spirit. And he said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you shall have power to do what? Be my witnesses to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto where? The uttermost parts of the world. So this is the mystery now that that was even prophesied before Jesus and that Jesus fulfilled. In other words, when Jesus was born, there was people pointing to him going, he will be a light to the Gentiles. Isn't that amazing that it was planned all along that God would engraft us into Israel? And yet in the book of Revelation, we still see that there's a special plan for them and a purpose. And that's why I believe the church as a universal has been raptured. But all Israel will be saved through the 144,000 and he'll protect the Holy Land. And then from the Holy Land, we will rule and reign with Christ over the nations. And yes, that part of Ezekiel and the other parts of the prophets is true. The nations will serve us. Now, sometimes people take that to mean that we'll uh, be mean to them or they'll be slaves in the kingdom, but that's not true. It just simply means that there will be rank in the kingdom of God to come. When we talk about the millennial reign, the Bible says we will rule and reign as priests and kings as unto our God. How many believe in that? A literal millennial reign. And it says that they will, and this is where people take it a little bit too far, it does say that the nations will work our fields, that they will take care of our land, and that we will rule over them. And the Bible even says that the kings will kiss our boots and lick the dust off the ground. But this is in their repentance. Now, there are some groups known as the black Hebrew Israelites who only believe the black people are Jews, and they say that it's going to be our time to whip old Whitey because you're the one kissing our boots and you're going to take care of our fields. Well, they're partly true. They're partly right, and that is there will be servants in the kingdom of God. There will be, but they will not be mistreated as 
as, sadly, the Anglos had treated the African-American in, 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 the, in the United States. And what's sad about that is that they look at that in a carnal way. So we're not looking at this in a carnal way, like, look at me, I'm going to be a leader over cities and nations, and everybody's going to take care of my land and those things. We look at it as these are the rewards for the just and the righteous, and this is part of the retribution to the nations for rejecting God and for going against him during the time that they were on the earth. And then the Bible says they can be welcomed into the family of God, just like if you go back to the time of the Jews, a sojourner, because when they left Egypt, it says they left as a mixed multitude. The Bible even says in the law that the sojourners who came with them, the Egyptians and the other nations who were also slaves who left with them, could become circumcised and partake in the, in the Passover and be treated as an Israelite. How many want to see people come to be Christians during that time? Amen. And we also want to remind you that we don't do that by force because that's the difference between us and Islam is we don't believe our kingdom and subjecting the nations comes by force. We believe that that is done when Jesus comes and it's a theocracy. So the only time we get to have servants is in a theocracy. That's when Jesus is there to make sure servants are treated right. And then when you go to the Bible, who some say the, you know, the slave masters uh, misused uh, you know, to, to take the slaves, that's true because the Bible says that you can't even stay steal a person. If you do, that's that you're guilty of murder. And then it says, treat them as you would be treated by your master because you and the servant both have the same master in heaven. But remember, that servitude was a cultural setting by the Roman government. That wasn't based on race. It was based on debt and conquering. But once again, the only time we as Christians get to have servants in the sense of being under God is when he is here, not by doing it by force. And that why, that's why if anything was ever done in colonialism in the name of conquistadors for the Christian religion, we disagree with, right? We, we don't necessarily agree every narrative that they say about that. You can get great books that actually explain what was going on during there. I think they paint with too broad of a brush. But it's real easy for me to denounce anyone that ever had a slave as we saw during those times. Can you denounce that with me, right? Anybody that's conquering land in the name of the religion. We can denounce that. We're not to do that. But Jesus, when he conquers land and he sets up his kingdom, there will be servants in that kingdom. How many want to be on the ruling side of that kingdom? Amen. But how many know you'll treat your servants as you are treated as a servant of Christ? Amen. Maybe I should just preach on that all day. Uh, one day, just talk about ruling and reigning with Christ. Because some people think, I'm just going to rule and reign with Christ and sit on a rainbow. No, you're going to actually be over people. You're going to be ruling and doing stuff. You're, how many are ready to manage some stuff? How many are ready to get the keys of Chicago handed to you and be like, I got a thing or two to do here? How many are ready for that? And that's why sometimes we scare the world because we talk like that. They go, oh, well, we don't want you to be a president or alderman. But that's where we tell them, this is not the age where we do that in. We'll do that in the age of Christ as a theocracy. Now we have no problem submitting to a constitution. But that day, on the day that Christ returns, this is our constitution. And there's no arguing with it. Go to Psalm chapter 2, please, so they can see. There is no arguing with it. You'll get beat down with a rod of iron, okay? You won't be beat because uh, of something that's unjust. But if you rebel, <laughs> this, is where, this is where I never know where I'm going until the Holy Ghost gets me up here. And I don't know if I can blame it all on the Holy Ghost, but do you know that that day people will get beat down if they resist the rule of God? Can I show that to you? Okay, somebody say, show it to us. 
Okay, here it is, Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. That's at the second coming. That is not in the name of conquistadors, and no earthly government can ever claim that. And do you understand why? We're Protestants. We protest the Catholic Church because they've tried to do that. So most of what's been done in the name of the conquistadors we agree with, though we also think it's been done too far. And I think there's a proper balance to understand because, remember, other religions, other people were conquering at that same time. And so I don't think two wrongs make a right, but if we're bringing out wrongs, let's bring out the Apaches wrong too, right? If we're going to bring out the wrongs, let's talk about the Aztecs, right? Because most of the indigenous people joined with the conquistadors to fight against the Aztecs and Mayans when they came. So those are facts that people don't like to bring up. They like to tell a one-sided thing. But when Jesus comes, the, in, the inheritance is his now. The ends of the earth are his possession. Look at verse 9. And you will tickle them until they submit to your authority. Is that what it says in verse 9? And you'll take them for long walks beside the beach and convince them of your rule and reign. Now what does it say? You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. So anybody, when Christ comes to rule and reign with his army from heaven, which we'll be a part of, anybody doesn't want to be, be a part of that, you'll be broke with a rod of iron. You'll be dashed to pieces. You won't do very well. Therefore, you kings, and this is why I love the Bible, therefore, you kings, be wise. Listen, you ruler of North Korea, you better be wise. You better be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and trembling and celebrate his rule with trembling, rather. Kiss his son or he will become angry and you will, your way will lead to destruction. And his, his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. How many are happy for that detour right there? Amen. So when Jesus comes back, he's ruling with a rod of iron. That's just the way it's going to be. He's God, and he's going to do that, and I hope that you're on the right side of that. Now, going back to what we're talking about here, there's an angel. He's holding a scroll, and now he's going to give the scroll to this uh, to. Um, to John to eat. And it's going to now have to do with the nations. Let's look at it. Verse 8. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And remember, I believe whenever there's a voice not attributed to an angel or to somebody else, I believe that's the Holy Spirit. And we've already seen those references uh, there in Revelation, that voice. I believe it's the Holy Spirit. So I went to the angel, asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it, and I will turn and it will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. I tasted it. It tasted it as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about how many peoples? Many peoples. About how many nations? Many nations. How many languages? Many languages. And how many kings? Many. See, many peoples, many nations, many languages and kings. It applies to all of them. Now, get this. He eats a scroll. Where does that come from? Ezekiel. Ezekiel now is going to be a key player in what we're going to learn along with Daniel. Daniel plays a bigger role in the book of Revelation, but Ezekiel comes number two about a prophetic a promise that comes before this, that, that John's going to uh, build this revelation off of, or rather Jesus is building it off of as he's giving it to the angel. Now, the thing I want you to notice here is that he's told to eat the scroll. When Jesus said, take and eat of my flesh, did that mean we were supposed to pray for the communion and it transubstantiate, it changed its substance to literal body and we cannibalize Jesus? No, that couldn't have been the meaning that the Roman Catholics or Orthodox have. Why? Because at the Last Supper, Jesus' body is there, and he goes, this is my body. 
Could he have done that if that literally meant you're going to transubstantiate? Because otherwise he would have to go, this is my body, eat my pinky. Now you eat my, my thumb. You eat, no, come on, friends. He says in that passage, and I love my Roman Catholic friends because they agree on a lot of the things that are fundamental, but we've got to help bring them straight here. It's clear that what we're eating is the words of God because you go on in John chapter 8. He says, these words I speak to you, they are spirit. And when Jesus was tempted by the devil, what did he say? Uh, the devil said, you know, turn these rocks into bread. And he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the word of God is bread for your soul. Okay? And the, and the drink of God is the Holy Spirit. It's not the blood. We're not vampires for Jesus. We're not suckling on his blood. Are you listening? The blood of Jesus, the life of Jesus. What does blood stand for? Life is the spirit of God. That's why he pours it out on us. And the Holy Spirit rebirths us. Just like how you come from the birth canal of a mother, breaking forth water and blood. You come birthed by the spirit, being washed by the blood, being washed by the spirit. Blood and water come from the womb. Blood and water come by the spirit. Does everybody get it? And he said, to John, he said to Nicodemus in John 3 where these terms are at, he said, this is not flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh. We're not drinking earthly flesh, uh, drinking earthly blood, eating earthly flesh of Jesus that comes at a miracle. That's not what we're doing. What we're doing is spiritually partaking of Christ because he said, what I speak unto you is spirit, and the spirit gives life. And so that's why we see even with Ezekiel, they would sometimes eat the, the prophecy. They would eat it. And here John is told when you, when you first put it in your mouth, it's going to be sweet. But then when it hits your tummy, it's going to be rumbly in your tummy. And, and why do you think that is? Well, you hear the first part about, about what Jesus is going to do. Everybody gets excited. Jesus is coming back. He's going to rule and reign. And it tastes really sweet. But what's the sour part? There's going to be blood as high as a horse's head. There's going to be mass destruction upon the earth. And how many know that's sour to us? That's, that's grieving. Even though we know it must be done, it's good that we go through that sour, but it's not what we would rejoice over. In other words, we're not happy to see this mass destruction. We're happy to see God's judgment, but it comes with pain. There will come a time of rejoicing. Don't get me wrong. We talk about that here all the time, that we will rejoice in the enemies of God being destroyed. But we also feel compassion for them right now as we see that this can be avoided. And so how many want to see this avoided as much as can be? I mean, let's just go through the numbers. If we only need a 200 million man army to take over the world and do Armageddon, and we know that a fourth is killed, a third is killed, and another third is killed, let's just say that leaves us with 3 billion people, and we only need 200 million man army, and let's say a kingdom of a billion, that means there's still 2 billion we could win to the Lord right now. How many would like to see 2 billion people go to heaven and that be less than the judgment of the, you know, them getting the judgment? Because once again, if you just look at the book of Revelation numerically, like how many sinners needs to be here to make this thing happen? There probably only needs to be two or three billion. And like I said, you minus all the ones that die from the other ways, I still can believe God for a billion person harvest. A two billion, depending on how you do the math. I mean, we can see billions of people saved before this happens. And I'm praying for those Muslim nations. Why not? Why not see many of those Muslim nations saved? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Is we're supposed to pray for their salvation before the judgment judgment comes. Okay, now let's get to the time frame. This is when it's going to get very interesting. Everybody say very interesting. 
for the very first time, you're now going to be given days, time frames, and dates. Here we go. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer part. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. That's almost identical to what God told Ezekiel to do through Ezekiel 40 and 44. Now we come into a, a place where we have to understand there's multiple temples. Would you please put up the pictures? There is Solomon's temple that was given descriptions that we have descriptions of. There's Ezekiel's temple, which Ezekiel gets descriptions of. And then there was the temple that Jesus went to, which is Herod's temple. So show them Solomon's first. Now go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel gets a prophecy about the temple. And then now go to Herod's temple. Now let me explain this to you as best as I can as it gets interesting. Okay. How do we have Herod's temple? I, did I send you three? Only said you two. Okay. Herod's temple is very similar to Solomon's temple. But let's go in history. When God told his people to create a temple, it was first a tabernacle in the desert. Okay? That was during the time of Moses. Then during the time of David, he sets up the plans with God to make the uh, Solomon's temple. It's called Solomon's temple because Solomon then makes the temple. Let's just have Solomon's temple up there, please. Thank you. Solomon's temple is then destroyed in the Babylonian captivity as they are taken into Babylon. That's how Daniel ends up in a lion's den is because his temple gets destroyed, his people get brought into slavery, and he has to live in Babylon. Everybody say Babylon. And then in many ways, aren't we living in Babylon now, right? We're living in Babylon now. Now, that temple uh, Solomon's temple gets destroyed, then it gets rebuilt and eventually becomes known as Herod's temple. Somebody say Herod's temple. It's rebuilt in the time of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. You learn about that in those books, Ezra, Nehemiah, the two main books. You learn about the rebuilding of the temple. But now here's where we come into a problem. Go to Ezekiel's temple, please. The rebuilt temple after Solomon's temple, now uh, known by most purposes as Herod's temple, but remember, it's only known as Herod's because it gets a remodeling during the time of Jesus by Herod, but it predates 400 years, okay? It, it comes uh, 400 years earlier, but we just now know it as Herod's temple. So just once again, tabernacle with Moses, Solomon's temple, it's destroyed. Then the temple is rebuilt, then now uh, known as Herod's temple. Herod's temple will get destroyed in 70 AD, but Ezekiel is given a prophecy before before the uh, temple of Herod is built or Herod's temple is built and Ezekiel's temple is different. Everybody go, interesting. This is where the problem now comes when John is asked to measure the temple. What temple are you measuring, John? How many would like to know? Guess what? I got a book coming out. The temple that John measured, $24.99. And then I sell little models of that temple. And then you put it around your house, and it gives you good luck wherever you go. For $7.99, you get some water to put into the temple. So a little river runs through the temple because that's Ezekiel's temple. Okay, so now here's where we got to get just a little bit into the description of these temples. He's told to measure, and he's told, if we could just go back to the scripture real quick, he's told to measure a certain part, thank you, but don't measure another part. The parts that he's supposed to measure are the temple with the altar and its worshipers, but exclude the outer court because that's where the Gentiles are. Now, if we go back to Ezekiel's temple, we know that that was not Herod's temple. That was not what was around during Jesus' lifetime. That's going to get destroyed in 70 A.D., so 
So Solomon's temple gets destroyed with Babylon, and then Herod's temple is going to get destroyed in 70 AD. We know the book of Revelation is written after 70 AD, so we can't say, well, he's measuring Herod's temple because that's the one that's around. That one's already destroyed too. Thank you, sir. Was, did I end up sending it to you? You found it? You guys are awesome. You guys are cool. Let's give it for our guys in the back. Thank you. So they're all here now. I made a post on Facebook trying to save the first service, so I like had to come back and do some, some patchwork, so thank you for helping me out there. So here's Herod's temple. Now, we know that this is destroyed by the time of the book of Revelation, so here's my best guess. I think that John is measuring Ezekiel's temple. Why does that matter? Because Herod's temple was never Ezekiel's temple. And God gave Ezekiel a prophecy about that temple. Now people ask the question, well, why didn't, you know, uh, Nehemiah and Ezra build the second temple? Let's go to uh, uh, Ezekiel's, please. Why didn't they build that? Now there's different questions, uh, you know, different debates about it. Why didn't they build this? Some say they didn't have the money, the space, the time, the energy, because it's bigger, it's wider, and all that. Okay, that's an idea. Another idea is that Ezekiel's temple was never supposed to be rebuilt by them, though they were supposed to rebuild a temple. That's true. But this is the millennial temple. Everybody say the millennial temple. And this is the temple where the Antichrist is going to go to, and this is where it's all going to go down. Then some people say, no, no, no. Ezekiel's temple is actually the fourth temple, there'll be another third mini temple that the Jews build during the time of the Antichrist, and that one too will get destroyed. Poor Jews are going to lose three temples before they get to the dream vision here of Ezekiel. Now, once again, where you settle on this is not a major issue, but I want to tell you why I settle on it being Ezekiel's temple, and I believe they're going to do their best to do this, because I believe the treaty, as we'll get into Daniel's weeks, will involve them getting all of their land and all of the things that they need, and this will help convince them that they have the right treaty, like, wow, we get to build the greatest, biggest temple, because how many know if there's one thing we know about the Jews, we know at this time they're not poor. How many we know that? How many know the Jews have some money? How many know they could build this? Like, they, I know I got you laughing right here. It's an inside joke with the Jewish people, man. They, throughout all of their persecutions, they still come back on top somehow. They're, they're the bankers, the lawyers, the doctors. Their nations are prosperous, you know, they're, they're where they are at. Uh, okay, so this is nothing. This is nothing now. What, why wouldn't they build this is my question. Why wouldn't they build it? They have the money. They have the opportunity. But why can't they right now is because, remember, we were talking about that, that mosque that they wanted to do their prayers. There's a mosque on the temple grounds right now. So go back to the scriptures, and the Bible says here, don't measure where the Gentiles are. Don't measure where they are. If we, if we could go back to the scriptures, please. Don't measure them. Look at this. It says, go and measure the temple of God, the altar, with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it's been given to the Gentiles. Now, let's keep going. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months, and I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for how many days? 1,260 days. One more time. How many days? 1,260 days. Thank you. Clothe and sackcloth. Now pause right here. Why is this so important to tie it to Ezekiel's temple as we get these dates? Because now we have to go to Daniel. We've got to pause here. We'll get more about the witnesses in just a moment because this is where I think I messed up with the, the first service. I read through this whole thing, and I tried to explain the witnesses, but I didn't explain the timeline. So I'm going to do what I felt I should have done. Literally in the first service, I'm like, I'm going to do this. No, I'm going to do that, and I changed my mind, but I'm going with this now. Everybody say timeline. 
Okay, here we go. Daniel's week. Somebody say interesting. Okay, is this still interesting? We talked about the temple. Why I think it's Solomon's temple? Because it's the dream temple. It's the ideal temple. It's the greatest temple they could ever possibly imagine. In one sense, it's greater than Solomon's temple. It's the greatest possible temple they could have. Why do I think that's a part of their treaty? Go to Daniel chapter, uh, let's go to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. I'll work backwards. I'm going to work backwards, and then I'll show you the whole thing. But this is why I think it's a part of what we're going to encounter is Ezekiel's temple because I don't think their third temple gets destroyed. Because if, this is where I just got to slow down. Everybody's got to get this. If it's not Ezekiel's temple, if it's not Ezekiel's temple, then when Christ comes to his temple, he has to rebuild that temple. But nowhere are we told he rebuilds the temple. We're actually told he saves the temple. If you read Matthew chapter 24, it's different than Luke and Mark's account. And Luke and Mark, the temple is destroyed. That's how we know it's referring to 70 AD. In Matthew, Christ comes before the destruction of the temple like he does in Revelation, and he saves it from its destruction. Though the temple is defiled, it is not destroyed. Somebody say defiled, but not destroyed. So once again, will the Jews be able to build Ezekiel's temple financially? Absolutely. Could they build it like, you know, archaeological, I mean, um, architect-wise? Absolutely. So what's the only thing preventing them from building the dream temple they've always wanted and Ezekiel's always prophesied? The land, right? Here's where I believe they get the land. He, talking about the Antichrist, which we'll get into in a little bit, but just trust me as I go through this because I hope this will demystify a lot of what we'll learn here. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. And we're going to count that as seven years. One seven is going to count for seven years. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end is decreed and is, until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So he's going to desecrate the temple. And how we know he's going to do this, he's going to sacrifice and declare himself God in that temple, in that ideal temple. But why do I think this is the temple of Ezekiel? Because I believe that's what they are going to negotiate. They're going to negotiate for all of that temple ground to be given to them. They're going to build it one time. It will not be destroyed. It will remain until Christ comes back and Christ will take away the defilement and set up his kingdom at Ezekiel's temple. And then after the millennial reign, the new heavens and earth, there's no more a temple. There's only us in Christ. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So that's my best understanding of that. Now, let's go back to Daniel and understand the weeks. Okay. In the book of Daniel, this is amazing. This is good to share with all of our Jewish friends who are not yet believers and for any atheist that doubts the things of God. Daniel, who lived hundreds of years before Jesus, practically almost 500 years before Jesus, gets two important prophecies. He gets one prophecy that says when the temple will be rebuilt. Remember, he watched it get destroyed as a little boy, the temple that was known as Solomon's temple. He watched it destroyed. God tells him in 49 years, the temple will be rebuilt. But this is how it says it. 77s are decreed about your people. 70 times 7 equals what? 70 times 7 equals what? 490. 40 times, excuse me, 70 times 7 equals what? 490. These are going to be years. The seven weeks of years, seven times seven is what? 
Seven times seven. Okay, we're already struggling on math. Come on, second service. You've got to help me. I'm so ready to take you there. I'll take you there. Okay, I'm, I'm going to take you there, but you've got to do some math with me. Okay, everybody get out their phones. Get out your phone. Get out your calculator. Just do the math with me. Okay, 77s are decreed for your people, Daniel, and the sevens, the sevens are going to represent years. So 77s, 70 times 7 equals how many years? 490. So he says to him, I'm going to tell you something, Daniel, about your people that's going to cover 490 years. How many years? 490. Thank you. Now, starting in verse 25 of Daniel chapter 9, he says to him, and, and just uh, go back to the scriptures real quick so everybody can see. Let me just take my time. Everybody say, take your time, Pastor. You don't have to go anywhere, do you? I can keep you here an extra hour. You guys, some of you came early and you got the spoiler alert to the service because I was already running late. But go to Daniel chapter 9 and you'll see the 77s uh, uh, decreed there and you'll see what we're doing here. Okay. Start in chapter 9, verse 24. 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. He's going to get a vision about the 77s. That's going to tell him when the temple is going to be rebuilt, because that's what you need for all of this, and when the Messiah is going to come. Does everybody get it? So he's going to be told those two things. Now, just look at 25. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. That's one of the only places the Mashiach in Hebrew, Messiah, is ever even mentioned. Most of the prophecy about the Messiah don't even say the name Messiah. Right here, it's clear. It's talking about the Messiah. So notice this. Know verse 25 and understand this. Somebody say, understand it. I want you to understand this. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Seven times seven is how many years? There will be 49 years and then there will be 62 times seven. How many years? 434 years, 62 times seven. Now go back to the chart. It's the chart within a chart. The whole reason why we deal with sevens is because of Daniel. Now, here's, watch this. Is this not awesome for God's prophetic uh, calendar? Now, anybody could look back at this and say, well, Daniel wrote 49 years in there, and the temple was already built, and he just went back and said it would be 49 years. So I don't buy that that's a prophecy. But guess what you can't mess with? What he says will be 434 plus the 49 is 483 to when, peek-a-boo, guess who was born right here? Jesus. You see, you can't fake that, can you? See, right now somebody could say, hey, you know what? I make a prophecy that after the destruction of the Twin Towers, there will be Freedom Towers built however many years later, 12 years later. Now, if I made that prophecy today, that's a joke, isn't it? Joe, the, the, the tower's already built. And now if I hand that out to people, maybe a certain people will come many, many years later, not know when I lived or know the context, and go, wow, look, Joe knew when the Freedom Towers would be built in the place of the Twin Towers. Oh, Joe was a prophet. That's what the atheist thinks we're doing. That's what the non-believer thinks we're doing. But we're not doing that. We're looking back at history, and Daniel was right to prophesy it before it happened. 
But that's not convincing to really anybody. You know, it's like, well, I didn't live when the time when Daniel lived. How do I know? The, the books are handed down to us. Who knows when Daniel actually lived? We have an idea. But he could have lived in the time of the actual temple being built. So then he looks back and goes, oh, it was 49 years from when it was destroyed to when it was rebuilt. But guess what? We can't fake. You can't fake when Jesus was born. And so they like to say, the non-believer is, oh, you guys, you know, you shoot the arrow and then you walk over with red paint, and then you paint the bullseye and say, look, Jesus fulfills prophecy. It's just wherever you want it to be. So you say Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and you go back to the scriptures and say he'll be born in Bethlehem. Oh, Jesus would be betrayed, and then you have Jesus in the story getting betrayed. But can you do that with the year and the time that Jesus is going to be born? No, not when Daniel's book predates Jesus. Daniel's autographs, the, the manuscripts of Daniel predate Jesus by hundreds of years. Daniel was already written. And guess what he said had to happen? He said the temple, God said to him, the temple has to be built in 49 years, and then there will be another 434 years, so 62 on top of the seven for a total of 69 69 sevens will happen until the Messiah is cut off from his land, and he, he appears in his temple, and then he's cut off from his people. Who else could it be other than Jesus? You see, at this point, now we move from the atheist and we go to the Jew and go, where's the Messiah? Your, your prophets, your Old Testament prophets gave you the timeline. If your Messiah did not come by the end of Daniel's 69 weeks, right around the time of when we say Jesus was born, where's your Messiah then? And that's why we say back to the Jew, it's impossible for Jesus not to be the Messiah. It's over. The temple is destroyed that it said he would come to because they said the second temple would have greater glory than the first temple. And how can that be if it's the temple's destroyed now? How is it going to have greater glory? It's a pile of rubble. They only have the western wall, the, you know, the wall up. It's just, just a part of the temple, not even the actual holy of holy place. You get my point here. And how could it be anybody else when the years are clear? You can't take it any other way. Did the temple get built in 49 years? That's why we know we're taking the sevens as years because it's interpreted that way. Was it built in 49 years from the time of its destruction, seven times seven? Absolutely. So now you can't change the standard of sevens to say, well, uh, you know, the other 62 weeks, those are going to mean each week is 100 years or a seven is some type of other number, whatever they could come up with. No, you're stuck with it now. Seven times seven, 49 years, temple is built. Nobody argues about that. That's the interpretive tool. We have to keep the seven now as years. We have the 62 weeks, 434. The Messiah has to come. Read it again. Go back to the scripture, please, so everybody can see. Isn't this powerful? I mean, this is, I mean, as good as it gets, my friends. I, I don't know of any other religion that can put uh, 500, year, basically a 500-year prophecy on the time of their Messiah coming. That's why, by the way, when people say to us, well, what if I say I'm the Messiah? Predict yourself 500 years coming, Jack, before you come. Say you're going to be born, you know, in Humble Park or whatever. And by the way, we don't need you anymore. Jesus already came, so that's already done. But you get my point. They think we're so oompa loompa. Oh, you know, just anybody could claim to be the Messiah. That's just a book written by men. Yeah, there's math books written by men, and you believe those. There can also be prophetic books written by men. Look at this. This predates Jesus. I can't say this enough. Know and understand this from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one comes. This is as clear as it gets. Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt and the Messiah's coming. The ruler comes. There will be seven sevens. First seven, 49 years. That fulfills the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And 62 sevens. Do you get it? That's the, that's the anointed one coming. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be what? Put to death. 
and will have nothing. Oh, come on, somebody. And then look, the people of the ruler will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. What happened in 70 A.D.? The temple that that, that, uh, Daniel was prophesying about is destroyed. So before God even allows them to build the temple, he tells them when the temple is going to be destroyed. Isn't our God something else? He says, by the way, this one's going to be destroyed. It's going to be destroyed after they kill the Messiah. I double dog dare you to have a Bible study with an atheist based on this and tell them all I want you to use is science. That's all I want you to use. I don't want you to apply any faith to this, just science. How would you scientifically, historically, accurately, geographically understand this? You get my point? Don't do any of this. Well, that's just faith. No, it's not. This doesn't take faith right here. Can you read? Can you read? Do you do math? Do you, you, I know that got you, right? Do you read? Do you comprehend? Do you do mathematics? Do mathematics mean something to you? It can't be any more clear. And then we just take them and just say, what do you think this is talking about? It says it so clearly what it says. In the seven sevens, the temple's rebuilt. In the 62 sevens, after the seven sevens, the Messiah comes and is killed. And then after that, the sanctuary is destroyed. Now just go back to your history books. When do we say Jesus was built? Uh, Jesus was born. Oh, by, by the way, let's go back to the temple. When do we say the temple was built? When can they prove basically it was built? Right around that same time. When do we say that Jesus was born? Right around that time. When do we say Jesus was killed? Right around that time. Then what happens? The temple is destroyed. How in the world is that a coincidence? And how does that even take faith? Now it takes faith to whether or not you're going to serve that Messiah. Don't get me wrong. But we're right now, we're just doing science, right? And I love our Bible because this right here to me is the number one reason why Jesus has to be the Messiah. Now, going back to the book of Daniel, there's going to be how many sevens? How many? Seventy sevens. How many have we gotten when we looked at the temple being rebuilt and the Messiah coming? How many are we up to? 69, 69 minus 70 minus, no, no, 69 minus 70 equals what? 69 minus 70 equals 1. If I said it wrong, I'm apologizing. I'm doing math wrong. 69 minus 70. I'm saying it wrong. Okay, I'm going to do it like how I do on the calculator. 70 minus, I... I was doing so good until I tried to be smart. I, thank you. Don't ever just go along with me. Otherwise, we'll all look dumb. Okay. This is why I don't need yes people in the church, right? So if I say, are you tracking, don't lie, be honest. Okay, so I was being very ignorant right there. Please delete this out, whoever does this. Go right to the part where I look smart again. Wow, he blew my mind. And then he disappointed me. It got really embarrassing for him up there as he couldn't do simple subtraction. Do you do math, Pastor? Okay. Now, 70 weeks is what we're told to look for. 77s. That's why it goes back and forth of the week, because sometimes we hear in the Scriptures call them weeks, because seven days are in a week. And the seven years can stand for a seven-week year. That's kind of the way it's being used here. If you have 77s, and then you account for 69 of them, how many of them do you have left? 
You have one. There is where we go to Daniel's 70th week, the seven years of tribulation. That's why we as Christians are, uh, you know, futurist. We're looking towards the future of the 70th week. And this gap right here, we call the church age and the mystery. Because in Daniel's prophecy, it goes boom, boom, boom. It goes one after the another. It doesn't seem like there's going to be a gap. Same thing in Isaiah's prophecy. Unto us a son is, a child is born. To us a son is given. And he shall be called Emmanuel. I mean, you know, Almighty God. Go there, Isaiah chapter 9, please. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. It goes from one to the other. We're, we're seeing the virgin birth. And then the next thing, Isaiah 9, 6, please. I want to quote it correctly. And then the next thing we're seeing is the government's laid on his shoulders. So do we see how the Jews of Jesus' day could have had the timeline wrong. The mystery, it was mysterious to them. Are you tracking with me? Okay, let's, let's, let's go back to the, the, the thing before I give the answer. I want to give you the problem first. And if you could just put them in order, you might be able to save yourself, you know, uh, swiping there. Thank you. Okay, does everybody see that the 69th week ends with Christ being killed and the destruction of the temple? Does everybody see that? But why doesn't, this is the question, why doesn't the 70th week go right after the 69th week? The reason is this gap is called the church age. That goes back to what we were saying, that the Jewish people thought the kingdom of God was coming only for Israel, that they would rule and reign. As I got into that, that subject of uh, ruling and reigning, as we went there, that was only for them. But Jesus is clear that the kingdom of God needed to reach the nations. How many believe that? Okay, so that's why we believe there is a gap because the nations are being brought in. Now, when you go to Daniel's 70th week, and we've already read it, that's why I started there, you have what we're at now in Revelation. A treaty is being made, and someone is breaking that treaty, and this is why I believe here we're being told not to measure that part of Ezekiel's temple. So let's go back to 11.1. Hopefully I can put it all together. I was given a read like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God. I believe that's Ezekiel's temple. I don't believe this one's getting destroyed. In the altar, with this worshiper, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it's been given to the Gentiles. Why has it been given to the Gentiles? Keep going. They will trample on the city for 42 months. I will appoint the two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days in sackcloth. Where do the days come from? A lunar calendar is the Jewish calendar, 30 days in a month. So take 30 days times how many months? 42 months, you have 1,260 days. We're back to doing math again? Okay, so that's the same exact time period. So what changed? And this is where I got a little confusing because I kept going back and forth where the witnesses came. And I'm going to settle on it now. The witnesses start at the beginning of the three and a half years. The covenant is broken. They get martyred. Okay, we're going to learn about that. And then the Gentiles start taking over the temple, and God is going to come and deliver them in the last three and a half years. They're going to trample it for 42 months, but the Battle of Armageddon, is going to be to come and save the temple. Are you guys tracking there? Okay, that's where I believe we're going with this. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. They stand before the Lord of the earth. That's Zechariah 4, 3, because they're prophesied there. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants them to harm them must die. So you must die this way if you mess with them. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during that time. They are prophesying. They have the power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. 
I believe this is Enoch and Elijah. Why? Because they haven't died an earthly death, and I believe they're going to come back. Some people think it's Moses and Elijah standing for the law and prophets, and those are the two heavenly guests that come with Jesus on the, the Mount of Transfiguration. Also, if you look at the signs that they have, to be able to call down fire and stop rain, that's what Elijah did, and then to be able to send uh, a blood on the water and to strike the earth with plague, that's what Moses did. So depending on how you come with that, those who I think the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah or Enoch and Elijah. Now, when they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them. Now, this is where it gets a little confusing for us in the story. Who is the beast? Have we learned anything about the beast yet in Revelation? No, we haven't. We don't learn about him till later, but right now he's just being introduced to the story because it's a part of the timeline. And that's why, remember, the revelation is most importantly about Jesus. The beast, he'll come in whenever Jesus wants him to come in for his own purpose. The two witnesses, they'll come in whenever he wants them to come in. That's how I explain the interludes. Like, why not explain this from the beginning when it's all popping off? Why wait until this point? Because Jesus wanted to wait until this point so we would stay focused on him. The revelation is not the revelation of the witnesses. It's not the revelation of the trumpets. It's not the revelation of the beast. It's the revelation of who? Jesus. That's why it's brought up there. You're going to learn who the beast is by God's grace next week. So the beast, who I believe is the Antichrist, is going to overpower them. Their bodies, now watch this, they will lie in the public square of that great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt. Oh, what city is it? It tells you right here next. Where also their Lord was crucified. Where was Jesus crucified? What city? Jerusalem, Golgotha is a part of Jerusalem. It's on the outskirts. So where will they be killed? In where? Jerusalem, okay? And then for three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because, the two, because these two prophets had tormented those who lived on the earth. Has anybody ever said your preaching torments them? Then you're in good company. Come on, somebody. They get bothered by what you have to say, right? Now, where do we see this possibility happening? Could this have happened in any other generation except the generation that could have satellite and live TV, live feed? No, because look at what it says. For three and a half days, some from how many people? Every people. How many tribe? Every tribe. For how many language? Every language. How many nation? Every nation. That means people from the farthest corners of the earth can watch them. How is that possible without satellite? So now, once again, another prophecy for us fulfilled. See, put yourself in the shoes of those who lived in the 1500s. Number one, what would be the first thing they would say to you? Ha, you're talking about Israel and temples and Jerusalem and all this. The people of Israel don't even have their own country. How can all of this take place there? Isn't that how they're going to mock us? And then what's the second thing they're going to say? And the person dies in Jerusalem and every people group have the chance to see him. How is that possible? I can't even see you down the road. They mocked us as Christians year after year. That's why so many people took the book of Revelation as all symbolic. They say that the two witnesses was the Old and New Testament witnessing to Jesus. And they said, how do you kill a testament? I'm telling you, people have come with some silly things from the past because it's all symbolic to them. Once you go there, it doesn't make any sense. You can make it to be whatever you want. But if you take it somewhat literal, as we've been doing, trying to be consistent, how do you explain it in the 1500s? Think about this. People by faith had to say, you know what? I can't do that by science. I can do Daniel by science. But I can't show you by science right now how Israel is going to be a nation. I, I don't even know where half of them are at. They're scattered all over the earth. And you know what? I don't know how people from every people group, from every language, from every nation are going to see these bodies. 
but I believe it. And you see, not that it was anti-science, it was just that science had not caught up. And so when we are trusting God, everybody get this, because there are things people may make fun of us now. Oh, a locust army coming up from the abyss. You're so dumb. They won't be thinking we're dumb when it comes up from the abyss. They'll be like, well, I guess, I guess there was a locust army able to come up from the abyss. Yeah, you think so? Well, how can stars fall? They're so far away. God can shrink the heavens or he can send some asteroids. You will understand. How can, how can a third of the sun go dark? You'll understand. Something with its combustion is going to start running down. We've already made some movies about these things, right? And so what we need to do is trust God in the same way. Not anti-science, but say where science has not gone, I can trust God. I trust God that the things that I haven't seen in science will come to pass because now I see Israel as a nation, and that's a huge miracle in and of itself to have a people group spread across the globe for 1,800 years without a homeland to come back to their land after they were almost exterminated. How does that work? But I remember God saying he works all things out for the good of those who are called. Come on, somebody. And then how do we all look at somebody? How does, how does somebody in India see the same thing that somebody in Russia sees? Well, just hold on. Science will catch up and show you satellites and live feeds. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. They stood up on their feet. Terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven. Believe it's the Holy Spirit once again. Says, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. So the same way that I would trust God in the 1400s to believe there was going to be a nation of Israel and that one day we could all see the same thing happening in Jerusalem, I believe we're going to see a resurrection of the dead and people ascend up to heaven. And that's why, if you remember in Revelation chapter 4, I believe it's the rapture of the church because he says to John, come up here. Come up here language in the book of Revelation is rapture language. And that's why the next time we see the church, we see them surrounded by the, uh, surrounding the throne as the martyrs are underneath the throne. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and their survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. I mean, how do you allegorize that? I mean, you get my point to people who say, like, the Old and New Testament are the two witnesses. How do you, why is the point of even saying there was an earthquake, the city collapsed, or 7,000 people dying? You would be surprised, once again, what, I, what I'm saying here, what Christians felt they had to do to make up for what they thought the Bible wasn't doing good in science and this and that. I trust this, and I believe we're going to see it come to pass. And the reason why I believe now, for sure, everybody say, for sure. I believe for sure it's at the beginning is because they're praising God and giving him glory. I don't think they're able to do that at the end. So I think the three and a half years is the first years of the tribulation. And then after they are martyred and ascend to heaven, that marks the last three and a half years. And the reason I was toying with it is because at, at the end of them going, even though, yes, the people praise God, there's earthquakes, the cities collapse. It could almost be like, hey, that was your last chance, but you killed them. Now you guys are going to get the bowls of wrath. So I was going back and forth on that. But I'm settling with if they're able to give glory to God, that seems mid-tribulation instead of end of tribulation, because at the end of tribulation, they're not giving glory to God, they're cursing them out. Can I get an amen for God judging some sinners that don't like him? And the second woe has passed. The third woe is coming. Everybody go, whoa. That was just the second woe. There it is. Now, the third woe is much shorter, and uh, Vinny, would you come, please? Thank you for your patience today. I did my best. I think I did better than I did in the second service, but let us get... Amen. It's not over yet, but I'll take it. Thank you. All glory to God, though, right? Amen. Thank you. 
Here's how the seventh trumpet ends. Remember, they overlap. So the seventh trumpet is going to start the bowls. We're going to see now another interlude. So hang on. We're going to get all the details of the beast and his kingdom, and that's going to go on with what Daniel saw as well. But here's the seventh angel. He sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for the judging of the dead and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, for destroying those who destroy the earth. Notice what God is going to do. He's going to destroy those who destroy the earth. There could be an argument made that the seventh angel kind of sounds like the seventh, uh, the seventh trumpet, sounds like the seventh bowl. There's a wrapping up here. But if you notice here, it says your wrath has come. It does not say your wrath came. And that's why I believe that the last part, the bowls, are another section of three and a half years of torment upon the earth. And we don't wrap it up or try to squish them all together. But it would be compelling if you were looking at just this part of the seventh trumpet. It would sound like it's wrapping up. But I think it's a declaration about what's ready to come. The wrath is coming. And the judgment is coming, and he's destroying those who are going to destroy the earth. And I think those will be our last three and a half years of tribulation. But I want to close out with this an encouragement as the band comes with the altar workers too, please. It's throughout all the things we went through, Daniel's timeline, wasn't that amazing? And then going back and forth to seeing how the book of Revelation plays out. Can I encourage you today to follow the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 33? He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Let us not get lost in this time looking for the Antichrist, trying to figure out who the witnesses are. It's important, but it's not the most important. What we should be wanting to see is the kingdom of this world becoming the kingdom of our God. We should be kingdom ambassadors. We should be those going to the other nations and compelling them to come to Jesus. Because sometimes it feels like, you know, when we do mission trips, it's like, oh, we just want you. Please, please, please come serve Jesus, please. That's not our role in that sense. We're to be ambassadors and go, hey, Mexico, it's time to serve Jesus because Jesus is coming back as a king. Hey, Italy, Europe, listen, Jesus is coming back and your world is going to be his world. So in one sense, yes, we're coming with compassion, but we're realigning people's focus. America, I love you. Land of the free, home of the brave. Listen, America, your king is coming. And this land belongs to him. Repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. That's what it means. The kingdom of God is at hand, right? The kingdom of God is coming. And so today, as Christians, Christ followers, let's be kingdom focused. Let's get focused on how can we build the kingdom through righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Would you stand up and give it up for the King Jesus today? Our King, our conquering King. Thank you, Lord. Would you bow your head and close your eyes in an attitude of prayer? Father, we thank you for being such a good King by sending your Son to die for us, to give us eternal life. As I'm praying right now, if you don't know Jesus, would you ask Jesus into your heart? 
Would you make him the king of your life right now? Because he's coming one way or another. It's up to you whether or not you want to be a part of that kingdom. For those of you who are already in the kingdom of God, right now search your heart to make sure that you're doing kingdom things. So as I pray, I'm asking that everyone will make Jesus their king and live like it right now. Father, may every lost person come to know and love you in this place. If there's anyone here that doesn't yet serve you, may they become a part of your kingdom today. And Lord, for those of us here who are already in your kingdom, may we not be hypocrites, may we not be distracted by the things of this world because the things of this world will come to nothing. May we focus on you and your righteousness. few moments right now, who's that speaking to today? Who today needs Jesus? Just begin to pray. Who needs to get right with Jesus? Maybe you've known him before, but you know today if he was to come back in his glory and his kingdom, you wouldn't be ready. And as they're praying right now, I want us to start to begin to those who are already right with God to start to pray for lost souls to come because you're going to be a kingdom ambassador. As those who are praying, making it right, if you're already right with God, would you raise your hands with me right now and say, King Jesus, use me to be an ambassador on my job, in my family, to prepare your way like John the Baptist for your coming, O Lord, to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. Oh, Lord, I pray that you'll use me with my friends. Use me with my neighbors. If you know someone that's on your heart right now that's lost, pray for them. My sister, Lisa, Mitch, my neighbors, Ashta, Vivek. Right now, oh, Lord, bring them. Bring them into your kingdom and use me, Lord. Oh, let the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. A few moments, and then we'll close out in worship. Thank you for your patience. But let's not miss what we were supposed to get, right? Because the focus wasn't the trumpets, was it? The focus is the kingdom of God. That's the focus here, right? It's Jesus, the king. It's not the witnesses. It's the ones they're witnessing about. A few more moments right now, and then we'll dismiss, and anyone who wants to pray and worship can. But I just want to right now be a living witness for Jesus. I don't want this book to just pass me by. I want it to go through me, to go to others. I want to believe God for a billion-person harvest. We know judgment's coming. That's inevitable. But I don't want to see my sister there. Come on, you know Armageddon's coming, but do you want to see your neighbor there? Somebody's got to pray for him. Somebody's got to intercede for him. Let them not go to hell because we didn't pray or we didn't reach out. Few moments, few moments. God, let, I just want to pray for some of the life groups. Go, God, let the Spanish life group be a testimony to your kingdom, oh God. Oh Lord, as they preach in Espanol about the power of El Salvador, Jesucristo, may the fuego de Dios, the fuego Espiritu Santo, bien come in the casa. Ahora, may the Holy Spirit fall upon them like it did on Pentecost, oh Lord. We pray for our youth life groups, God, as they go out to their neighborhoods and reach the young people. May they become on fire for you, Lord. All the different neighborhood Bible studies for the adults, may you set them on fire, O oh God, for the evangelism life group, O oh Lord. Do it, God. 